0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMag24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes.
1: Here we are. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. This is Sean Martin. And uh, today we're looking at the topic of vulnerability disclosure and uh, how that plays into enterprise and commercial and hopefully societal impacts as well. And um, this stuff doesn't happen automatically or magically, it's, uh, it's a group of people. Uh, taking the time to identify what's going on and analyze it and and present it in a way that it's useful for others to consume. And uh, a lot of work going on in there. And we have two folks who are joining us from the the Netherlands, Erwin Leonard uh, from DIVD and Global C-cert, Global, And uh, we're going to learn a lot of stuff today. So I'm, I'm uh, very appreciative for both of them joining Irwin Leonard, thanks Lennart. Uh, thanks for being on the show today thank you for having us thank you we, we had a chance to not too long ago chat with you about uh, some of your findings from rsa conference uh, super insightful episode and i would encourage everybody to to have a listen to that uh, a lot covered there and it was during that conversation that i realized we need to have you on again to talk about c-cert global and you brought along leonard to join you today so uh, for those who didn't get, catch you on the first episode or the last episode, maybe a few words from you or to tell folks who you are, and then uh, pass it over to Leonard to do the same.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so uh, I'm Ebert. I spent over 26 years in uh, cybersecurity. Uh, I've worked for mainly for vendors for over 25 years, uh, working on threat intelligence, uh, anti-fraud space. I've worked for quite a while, worked in uh, four different continents. Uh, enterprises, large banks, governments, um, those kinds of organizations. And, um, and after a while, after I, my, my last gig, I decided it was time to, well, do something for society, if you will. Uh, I reckoned the internet is in, is in dire straits. It's, it's going badly with the internet. It needs some help. And I reckoned I could maybe help out a little bit. And that's when I joined the DIVD. And later, together with uh, Leonard and two others, we founded Global.
1: Perfect. Good stuff. And uh, Leonard, what are you up to?
2: Uh, yeah, in daily
3: life, I work as a security analyst. And well, it started out as a hobby of finding vulnerabilities and disclosing them on things like bug bounty programs. And well, yeah, working as an ethical hacker, you often manage to find vulnerabilities in even the largest companies. And you can get a nice bounty paid for that. But like Edward, I also had a passion to just make society better, make the internet better, and that's how I ended up with uh, the day day where we do this at scale and try to oh, make the internet safer.
1: And so, th- there's a lot of questions in my head around disclosure and what's legal. And I know, I know, there's certain laws in the U.S. that may not apply elsewhere unless you happen to. St- put foot in the US but so I don't know what what's the role of DIVD and the work you're doing there with them and perhaps does it touch on some of the the policy and legal implications that might be associated with uh, vulnerability disclosure
3: Uh, yeah the role of Dave is mostly doing this at scale and organized so we're a group of about 100 volunteers right now and well when you put all these amazing people together then you can do a lot more than we each could individual. So it's just pooling resources, but also as it's volunteer work, when someone's busy and something important is going on, someone else can pick it up because you're not alone. You're not on your own doing this.
1: Describe to me what's, what's going on there. I've, I've read a few words that stick out to me, like you know, platform and team and reports. And and obviously there's a blog that's on the site that, that helps uh, maybe tell a story in a different way than a report can. So what's the process for what's going on here? Is this is this driven by bug bounties? Is it just driven by the individuals? What, what's going on?
3: Um, it's driven by um, well, mostly se- security industry news. And um, for one part, like when a new um, vulnerability is found or is published about, then we can go ahead and scan the internet for this vulnerability and try to identify where it exists and get in touch with the owners of those systems and those responsible for uh, patching them to remind them to either patch or take other mitigating measures to keep their system safe and stop it from being exploited by, for instance, cyber criminals. That's one part. And there's also a large part curiosity from our own researchers. They might see something in their work or just see something in their personal life and be like, hey, how does this thing work? And then Sometimes they find a so-called zero-day vulnerability in it. And then we have the process of
1: getting in touch with the vendor, disclosing it to them, having it repaired. So c- clearly, the, the the team can discover new vulnerabilities. But this is more about uh, finding known vulnerabilities in the uh, that are exploitable, right? And helping yeah. organizations recognize that they have an exposure. Yes. Perfect. How does a CSIRT come into play here?
3: CSIRT, which stands for Computer Security Incident Response Team, is uh, our team where that responds to incidents. So when vulnerabilities are found, uh, they go out, scan the internet, get in touch with system owners, uh, sometimes help them patch with... We don't patch systems for them, but sometimes they might, uh, the owner of the system might ask us, like, okay, what is this? What do I need to do? We try to give them a bit of coaching and help them uh, to get it fixed.
2: Essentially, trying to be a group of volunteer firefighters on the internet, if you will. Um, and you don't, you don't even need to call us. We just show up on your doorstep with fire blankets.
1: That's right. the The alarm bells ring, and and uh, here here you go. Here you, you guys arrive. And
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or there might even there might even be smoke coming out of the window, and they didn't even <laughs> know it. And and we're still there with the fire blankets.
1: Yeah. Well, talk to me about that, because I, I have a nice visual here with that, Edward. And um, firefighters come with a hose and blankets and maybe some masks to help people uh, escape without uh, smoke inhalation. There's much of it anyway. So what do you, do you bring? Clearly, bring information. But do you also yes. bring tools? Do you that bring also, a hatchet.
2: <laughs> if if so, if we can, but we like to remain on the doorstep, so we, we don't enter the house and then those kinds of things. You know, we're we're super ethical in those ways. Um, and um, but of course, you know, one of the I think you know, going back two steps. There's first you need to know that there's a fire, and for that you need to to understand. Uh, what's going on out there. Sometimes we do our own research. We have a research department and every now and then we find a big fire and sometimes we find a smoldering fire which has been going on for years. Um, But since we found it, we can now try to stomp it out. But secondly, then you need to find out where the fire actually is. And that is just as daunting a task as finding out that there is a fire somewhere. It's because of our work, the nature of our work And the fact that we're trying to do it ethically, we're doing the most, let's say, the lightweight scans we can do, but we do scan indiscriminately. So we scan the entire internet. Um, So when we get our results back, um, then that is a large chunk of IP data. And then we need to try and find owners for those IP addresses of which we know there's smoldering fire in there, but then we need to find someone who owns that. And that is the daunting task that we have. Um, so the sort part is that, as we define it, is is getting in that, that scanning data and that vulnerability data and getting it to the owners in whichever way we can. And automated tools, of course, will get us uh, a long way, for starters. Uh, but then I think you know everyone knows that if you get an email on your reviews email address or on your whatever uh, process you have in place for that, it doesn't get followed up automatically by, by the processes of the owners. And even going from an IP address to a company or, or an organization or a domain name is, is actually not specifically straightforward as well. So there's all kinds of issues involved in trying to find where the fire actually is.
3: And who to talk to about the fire. Yes, uh,
2: yeah. exactly. Exact. And if, yeah, even if you know where to go, then you might still be knocking on a door and it doesn't get open at all. So,
1: mm-hmm. can, yeah. tell, tell me how you can tell if there's a fire. Because um, it, it has to be more than just that there is a piece of code or a port open that, that leaves a company exposed. You said you can see the smoke signals. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, some, so some level of indicator or compromise that you're identifying yeah, in of, your scan as well.
3: Often when um, information about a vulnerability is published, uh, there's uh, some proof of concept to test your own servers or other servers to see if they're vulnerable. Um, that's one thing. Uh, some software is kind enough to state its exact version number right on the front page. So we can just, you know, crawl the internet for that piece of software get the version number, and we'll know based on version number whether or not it's vulnerable. Um, that's one of uh, the best scenarios because it means we don't have to run any exploit. Uh, like I mentioned before, we try to work as ethically as possible. Um, for instance, we would never use a proof concept that has a high chance of taking a server down or causing any kind of damage. That's something we're very careful about. So yeah, it depends on the vulnerability in the software how we actually scan for it, but we usually... Um, Write our own proof of concept code to either test for the vulnerability or to do version detection.
1: I'm wondering the relationship here and and, and how the Ccert Global was formed. It's evolved from DIVD, which, yeah. for those that don't know, is the Dutch Institute for Vulnerability Disclosure. We didn't spell that out earlier, uh, at least I didn't. So a few things here. This is part of, but separate from. Divd, you're looking at this from a global perspective. Clearly, well, it's not easier yeah. to scan the whole internet, but if you're gonna scan the internet, you're gonna it, you can get it all in one and then figure out where stuff is, perhaps. But I'm just wondering how how is it related to but not related to D I V D? How is it contained but not contained in the Netherlands? How does the global view come into this? And and perhaps why why you, why your team uh, to pick up yeah. this global? global perspective? But those
2: are some very good questions. Let me try to get get them from the beginning. So DIVD, as, as, as stated, is, is Dutch in nature. Um, that is in part because our founders are Dutch, um, but they might have been born in Belgium. It might have been the BIVD. Right? But the, the most important thing is that they have uh, a good relation with the government, and the government is kind of um, offering... Um, well, they're offering their, their vouch for us, if you will. And that is a very big thing, because that allows us to do that scanning activity, because we scan um, indiscriminately, as I said. And legally, it depends very much on the jurisdiction where you are, so where, where the scanned machine resides, if that is legal or not. So it is for us very important that we contain those activities in a, in a country that vouches for us and that is also a large part of why those activities specifically the global scanning is done from a dutch infrastructure where the government vouches for us um, but that's only part one because that will give us that ip information um, so secondly it's you know when you send your automated bunch of abuse emails listen these 40,000 uh, ip addresses we know are affected so we're trying to uh, you know, we're trying to uh, do reverse, uh, reverse DNS on them and so on and so on and we find DNS names and we're trying to mail them and we're getting a lot of emails back. We know that only 1% of those mails is followed up. So when you actually want the, the findings to be uh, implemented and be, be uh, followed up by the owners, you need to do more. And for that, we believe that we need to build a network, network of pe- people and a network of trust.
3: Well, uh, we not only believe, but that's currently with David A. It's how it works in the Netherlands. Like with yeah. our 100 volunteers, often when we find something in a bigger company, we're like, hey, do we know anyone that works there? Does anyone have a contact? And that way you can get... Um, your information to the right place a lot faster, and it's sort of vouched for coming from a trusted source, and they're far more
1: willing to listen to you than just a cold email. This is an interesting point, because I mean, it's very easy to get one's head wrapped around the, the technology and, and the threats and the attacks and, and all that fun stuff, but a big part of this challenge is actually knowing who. <laughs> The, who yes what 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 company yeah. right who's who's behind that i p and then even even harder who's behind that company that uh, will yeah. respond yeah and the right for point.
3: the Netherlands, we already have a lot of this information, we have a big network, and we noticed that that really helps, so with that mission, Caesar Global was found to create chapters well globally to
1: build these networks in other places as well. And we're going to get into. I suspect this is where a lot of people can jump in. We'll we'll save that for the end. Um, go ahead, Edward. Edward. You're going to say something.
2: Yeah. So, and I think we're you we're pioneering a bunch of other stuff as well, including a, a national clearinghouse, for example. Um, because clearinghouse, well, if if you can automate those follow ups as much as you can, that will save you a lot of time. Um, we will do, and many will follow up if we need to, but if we can automate it it would be awesome so the clearinghouse concept is now being pioneered in the Netherlands and might be very important going forward internationally as well but of course we need to learn the lessons from our um, from from the benchmark that that we run in the Netherlands as we speak
1: you describe the process of you scan the internet I don't know how often you do that but um, then some analysis takes place and um, a report and some emails get, get generated. So that's the, that's a proactive from your side. Um, is there a, a proactive from the other side where folks can query, uh, to see if they might be smoldering? <laughs> so, so perhaps you can't reach them because the network quite, isn't quite there yet but somebody might be interested, maybe, I don't know, as a a threat Intel feed or as a query or how, is that possible or how does that look? Um, No,
3: because we scan the entire internet, um, having people probe the data would also give a threat actor the chance to probe this data and get information about potential vulnerabilities. So the only way to do that would be to um, vet everyone that wants access to the data for which systems they could get access to it and then you have to keep that up-to-date, uh, that's just a lot of work, and we believe that it would be, bring more risk than actual good.
2: Yeah, Yeah. yeah although in, in that clearinghouse, of course, we're trying to implement parts of that, this uh, in some way, um, but that is all built heavily built on trust um, and on, on very strict security controls. So it, it, it's not as easy as you just slinging an IP range to, to our API and getting a bunch of IP addresses in return. No. That's, not you, how, that's not how it works.
3: You need okay. to vet who owns that range, and speed yeah. that IPv4 address can change hands, especially if they're hosted by a cloud provider, for instance. Yeah, it's really hard to make sure that the data is, not, uh, is only being seen by the owner of that system
1: so a couple more and they may seem like ignorant questions but th- i'm going to ask them anyway what stops others who have bad intentions from doing what you're doing
2: and are, they, are, you, doing not are you
1: aware of are you they aware are. of any they are doing they, that, they so, are so. doing it
2: yeah yeah they are they i know at any given time i saw a statistic like at any given time about like 250 scans are you know global scans are running um and that is i've also heard like four in five is probably malicious um yeah and that's and that's the world as it is today it's the good guys and the bad guys are in a scanning rep race um and we're just trying to be the good guys in that race
3: <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure that it has been in the news how for instance uh vulnerabilities in microsoft exchange have been used by ransomware gangs etc so they go on the internet, they scan for exchange systems that are vulnerable, just like we do. Only when they find one, they deploy their ransomware. And when we find one, we start trying to get in touch with the owner to remind them to update their server. Let's talk about
1: um, some of the cases because, I mean, that's, that's where this really matters, right? It's not just that you guys are having fun building, building some platforms and bringing people together and, and trying to automate some cool things. You're actually doing doing some good work here. So um, I don't know who wants to share a case or two or three or whatever um, to kind of help bring this home to reality.
3: I think one that a lot of people might have heard about would be the Caseya ransomware case on 4th of July weekend of 2021. Um, That was actually um, from our own researchers. We to Bonestar identified a zero day in the product and we were working with the vendor to uh, disclose this to them and have it patched. But sadly, before the patches were rolled out, um, the vulnerabilities were used by uh, our evil to deploy ransomware and what is said to have been the biggest ransomware attack up to that point. As they started with a ransom of, I believe, 70 million to release all the systems
1: so this was a case where you're actually identifying the, the zero day or the vulnerability in the first place as well yes is that is that common or is that that less likely It happens a few times a year i'd say yeah
2: so we run i don't know Leonard. We run over 100 cases per year right and a handful of them will be out of our own research yeah I think you know, for references in the Kaseya case, and, and like Leonard, Leonard has worked so hard on that case with, with all of his colleagues that, you know, all the details he's talked about so often, but I think it's relevant because Kaseya was not seen as something that was super mission critical. Um, it would not be in the top 10 of critical software systems well, ever be- before that attack.
3: And the um, issue is a lot of the victims probably weren't aware that they used it because exactly. it was used by their IT partner.
2: Yeah.
1: For
3: like, so give, remote give me some context
1: here, so we know what. Why wouldn't have made the top ten, or be a critical, and why would organizations not, not think that uh, they had it? What, what's the what's the story there? Because,
3: well, if it crashes or it would go offline, whatever, then it probably wouldn't directly affect the primary process of most businesses. Yeah. Like if you sure. own a factory or something, the computers that um give instructions to your production machines those you think are critical because hey if those stop working my very expensive machine stops producing my Mm products but then at some point there is another computer that does the maintenance on those computers and that's where the cassia software would run but yeah if that one goes down it wouldn't directly affect your production process but in this case it didn't go down, it was used to deploy ransomware across the network, which would have affected the production servers.
2: <laughs> so there were thousands, or I think maybe a thousand or maybe even 2,000 MSPs who were deploying that software on their customers' networks. So ultimately, there were tens of thousands of enterprises, small, medium, that were af- affected by that Kaseya incident, um, and it that was is managed by
1: the MSP. Therefore, they didn't they didn't exactly. know the, the components were deployed or not. Exactly.
2: So, Kaseya as a software company, uh, came to our attention, and the MSP community as a whole came to our attention in that way as well. Um, it is definitely, I think, a community, especially if you are talking to smaller MSPs that can use a little bit more help with regards to security, just to say it mildly. Yeah,
3: not not necessarily only the branch, but also like their the software they're using. We've looked at various MSP type software products because Caseya got us kind of curious. We realized hey, you can have a really big impact if one of these things are broken because it's so widespread. You only need to find one breach and you can affect hundreds maybe thousands of customers behind that so it was really in that sense it's really a force multiplier for how much impact it can have and we looked at a few other products that are uh, the same type of software and i'm sad to say that in the most of the ones we looked at we did end up finding
1: things yeah and i, I mean supply chain has been a huge huge topic uh, lately uh solarwinds another example of something similar exactly right? and um maybe a few more cases and we can talk about what what other things you might glean on top of uh, the individual cases any any other yeah, stories you can share
3: um i think we scanned for most of the major vulnerabilities that have been published about like the recent well not really recent anymore earlier this year um the zero day of unauthenticated remote code execution in atlassian confluence um we have multiple cases for issues with exchange servers yeah, like all the pretty much all the big CVEs that have been published, um, we've scanned the internet for and try to warn owners of systems.
2: And the reason why I think those those scans, specifically the big numbers, resonate is, for example, in the press, people are always super interested to learn that, uh, let's say, after a week, uh, there are still seventy percent of the machines we initially detected were still not patched, for
1: example. Like uh, Cloud st-
2: <laughs> 4 example, For example, yeah. I, I think it went a little bit faster, but um, the interesting thing is that you, well, we're trying to beat the drum on you know, taking as much responsibility as you can with regards to patching and keeping your system updated and so on. Um, and it helps that we have access to those statistics, of course.
3: And I think so, it's also really good to reflect on those statistics to see, like, hey, even if we identify things, look how long it takes before things get patched.
1: Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about that. What, what are some of the trends you're seeing? Big, Bigger picture stats or... And the thing I was thinking of earlier is, do you see an opportunity to find, perhaps, like, like you were looking at, are there... MSP driven software components that are just so widespread that there may not be anything noted in the in the media yet, but this is probably an area that that we should be looking at.
3: I think MSP software is definitely an area that we should look at. Um, yeah. Trends wise, I see that a lot of the big um, ISPs are very willing to work with us. Like when we identify an IP address with a vulnerability in it, we Oftentimes, the first point of contact would be the ISP, who owns that address. So when it's in AWS, that might be Amazon, or it might be Microsoft or Google. We uh, noticed that these hosting parties are far more willing to send our meshes on to their end customer than they were, let's say, two years ago. It really feels like they're getting used to what we're doing. They're starting to know us, and yeah, they're just more willing to help than before.
2: And that's also down to the fact, I reckon, Sean, as what Leonard said, is that after a while, they start to understand that when we send an email to them, it's always going to be a relevant email. Because we don't send out any marketing messaging. We don't send out any spam or uh, event invites or whatever. When, when you get an email from us, it's because something is smothering in your infrastructure. Um, and so that's one thing. That was from the beginning, but now they're starting to get used to that. that When you get an email from us, you should pay pay notice. Um, So what we're now on is on that mission to make that, to build that trust in that name, ccert.global, that's why I'm repeating it, um, (laughs) to make that global trust. Uh, Because people can, our promise to people is that we're not gonna send them anything unless it's relevant. And they should probably do something right away. Um, and if we can get that message out, that's for us already a huge win.
1: So talk to me about uh, how, how you do that. And I know you briefly touched on uh, chapters perhaps coming. Um, so what are some of the things you're doing where you could use the help of the community, perhaps uh, other, other uh disclosure agencies, perhaps government entities, who, who, who should get involved? How can they get involved?
2: So yeah, I think what we need is to essentially, if we build a chapter that is a geographical structuring of all the scan data that we have, essentially. and If we can offload an entire IP range, a geographical IP range to a chapter, uh, that will bring us speed and scalability. So that's one of the important goals that we have. But what we do know as well is that not everything is organized geographically, of course, and as a matter of fact, on the Internet, almost nothing is organized geographically. So because that's why we build uh, partnerships and friendships as well. For example, in the last week, we talked to uh, to the MSP community exactly about these things that we talk about today. Um, And they've offered their their friendship in the beginning. But later on, if we're building automated channels um, where the trust is already there that we can send our information to, we then have a horizontal slicing instead of a vertical slicing, if you will. And that's what we're trying to do for us. the, The IP data that we have and all the scanning data that we have is a huge chessboard. We have vertical columns, we have horizontal columns, and we're trying to fill it as efficient as possible so that we can cover the entire world in any which way is necessary. And the chapter structure is very important because depending on where you are, there's many different rules and regulation. And Sean, you already touched base on this. Um, Until a few weeks ago, it was quite illegal to do even ethical hacking in the US. And, and even you know what's what's out there today is only a proposal, um, and so it really depends on where you are, what you can and what you cannot do, um, and for that we need to find specific localized solutions. Many of them will have a solid legal uh, component as well, um, and that translates to effort and sometimes specialist effort. So, um, even though we're a volunteer-led organization um, and nobody makes money, um, we still need some funding for that as well. And we've estimated every chapter, on average, will at least cost some stuff for all the legal and setup costs. Uh, And there's many countries in the world, many different cultures, uh, and so on. So, that's what we're trying to achieve: is find. The good-heartedness and the willingness to help either in person or you know with with funding or whatever to help us build the organization out globally
1: well the friendships and partnerships uh seem like the best place to start certainly the money helps but uh if you can if you can get the the knowledge and the experience in the or the region or the sector or the whatever the slice may be to help navigate um how to reach the people, <laughs> how to uh, disclose uh, effectively uh, without uh, breaking any laws uh, or cultural uh, barriers, right? Um, I, I think those those would be great. And, yeah, I think ho- hopefully folks listening, we, we definitely have an, an international audience. So hopefully folks listening uh, will uh, take notice and, and hopefully connect with you and the team. To see how they might be able to help. I'm thinking of a lot of the practitioners that also listen to uh, redefining cybersecurity here. And perhaps they, they're thinking selfishly, as they need to, right? Um, how, how do I perhaps leverage this for my own security operations? So there's no pull uh, mechanism for them, as we described. But how might a security practitioner or a security leader like a CISO um, get involved so that they can not only benefit, but perhaps even contribute to the cause as well?
2: Well, some already have. Um, so for example, uh, three very forward-thinking uh, people in the UK working in critical infrastructure have decided to come on board and start a, start the first chapter for CSR Global. So they decided to um, uh, help the cause and invest their time and effort. Uh, what they get in return, of course, is access to a fantastic community. Um, uh, but also, uh, we don't mind uh, anyone uh, who will, you know, uh, build their own personal credibility because they're doing this work with us. You know, that's that's also part of the reward that you get. Um, but in essence, I reckon, since we're you know very much in the beginning, like we're not, we don't have 100 chapters already. I reckon it's going to be a large part of people who just believe in a good cause, and and that is also our the reason that we're here is is that no one else is really doing this. You know, there's many uh, volunteer organization of many types um, surrounding the internet and surrounding cyber security, but but really volunteer global firefighting we're the only organization that i know of that that actually does this um in an apolitical and discriminate way so you know if you believe in the internet if you reckon that it needs to survive all this shenanigans that has been going on for the for the last decade or two um you might as well go ahead and help and if you don't have the time but you do have deep pockets you can, of course, send me an email as well.
1: <laughs> it's always that. And Leonard, I want to, uh, and um, I don't want to take away from that. The funding is important, so please, any anyone who can help on that front, uh, definitely, definitely consider that. Um, Leonard, I want to talk to you about uh, as we as we begin to wrap here, um, the the involvement from the hacker community because we, we th- there's a lot going on underneath, I presume. And even so, you, you do a scan, you uncover uh, some smoldering stuff. What do you do? How do you communicate that? Right? What, what's really going on? How how widespread is that, that smolder, that fire? How do you then translate that into a message that that uh, that somebody on the receiving end can do something with um, that? That requires work as well, and I presume some of the hacker community would be perfect to help do that analysis and the translation to help say this is your path forward away from uh, away from the fire is that right yeah
3: so it depends of course a lot on uh, what is going on if it say it's a zero day that is being actively exploited but there's no patch available then our advice would always be you know take the system offline or remove it from the public internet because there's simply nothing else you can do but if it's an older vulnerability and there's already a patch available, which is luckily most of the time it's the case, then we will send along instructions to patch and information about which version numbers are safe and which ones aren't. So yeah, we mail the uh the owners of vulnerable systems a nice little report with instructions like what's going on, what's the
1: impact, why you should take this serious, and how you can remediate it. Well, listen, I think uh there's no question this is this is something uh Critical to uh, the, the livelihood of the internet, as as it were, mentioned. And uh, I'm I'm grateful that that you and the rest of the team are doing the work that you're doing. I'm 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 sure that those that you've actually connected with are thankful as well. <laughs> when when they maybe they didn't want to receive that that communication, but uh, <laughs> but uh, eventually we're we're grateful that they did. And hopefully that number doesn't rise to a point where you, you can't scale ahead of it. But, uh, we know that things aren't, aren't tamping, tamping down any, anytime soon. So the numbers are rising. The, the criticalities are, are rising. The sectors are, are rising. Um, so something like a Global is definitely necessary. And, and, uh, thanks for, thanks for doing what you're doing. And thanks for joining me here on redefining cybersecurity. Um, Edward, maybe a final point, a call to action for folks, if you want.
2: Well, no, I was just super happy that, that, that we could talk about this. Um, within the next few days and the next week, we're all going to huddle together in the Netherlands at MCH Hacker Camp. Um, many of the people and many of the people who are volunteering for us are going to be there as well. So if some of your listener would, listeners would happen to be in the vicinity um, uh, address anyone with a black t-shirt with a yellow D I D logo and we'll help you further gladly
1: great call to action and uh, sounds like a great event as well so for those listening uh, to the show there'll be notes of course as we always put in there uh, we'll link to ccert.global DIBD, perhaps the uh, the con as well and anything else that uh, Edward and Leonard think would be helpful um so, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks Edward and Leonard for joining. Catch you on in your next redefining cybersecurity.
0: Asgardio by WSO2 is a developer focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service or IDaaS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMAG24.